that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? I want to talk today about the instrument that God really uses. Have you ever thought that you could be an instrument in the hands of God? You know, most of us probably do not. Most of us would, would disqualify ourselves and we'd go through a list of things as to why God should not use me. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to do, but God has no limitations when it comes to the instrument that God uses. Now, God has a toolbox, and he's got a lot of tools laid out in that toolbox. And you know, tools are not really beautiful. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I've got a big old case of tools, and I, sometimes I open up my toolbox, look at all those wrenches, those chrome wrenches, and I think, man, that's beautiful. But they're not beautiful in the sense of a sunset or a, you know, a beautiful full moon at night or something like that. They have their value and they're good for what they're used for. I guess you might say they're beautiful in that sense that I can unscrew this or whatever. But, but in that toolbox, you know, generally tools are not beautiful. And God has a toolbox full of tools. And in that toolbox is a ball-peen hammer. What do you suppose that's used for? Well, that's used to knock some sense into people's heads, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's not a good thing, uh, the ball-peen hammer, when God picks up that wrench or that tool or that hammer. So God has a whole chest of tools that he can use. Now, when God called me, I did not want to be religious. Now, I know that sounds weird. I mean, it should sound weird, but I, I deliberately dressed down when God called me, first called me. Uh, I didn't want to dress up. I, I looked at religious people and I saw them coming out, coming out of church on Sunday morning. And I thought, well, they got, you know, they got the nice, the women's got the nice dresses and the women's got their suits and ties. And I didn't want to look religious. So I actually dressed down. I wore just plain old clothing. And, and finally, my mother said to me, she said, David, she said, if you can afford it, you ought to look your best when you come before God. And so I, from that point, I sort of started graduating to some nicer clothes and suits and ties and things like that, but I'm still not crazy about it, to be honest with you. But my point is this, preaching was the last thing I wanted to do. I mean, in school, I would skip school to avoid speaking in public. Now, I know that's the greatest fear that people have, but you know, there's fear and then there's real fear. And I had the real fear and it was, the fear was so great that if I had to give a report or do anything far as standing up in public, I would skip school. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a quiet person by nature. I, I don't talk a lot. I'm not a people person. I, you know, sort of avoid crowds and, and, and just sort of a person to myself. My wife is very quiet. Her, often in school, her sister would answer for her. Someone would ask Teresa, what's her name? And, and, and before she could get it out, uh, my sister-in-law my, 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 uh, sister would say, her name is Teresa, you know. Now, I can relate to that, you know. Let someone else tell you my name. I don't even want to tell you my name, okay? I can relate to that. 
Well, at age 24, I was asked to join a spokesman's club, and I didn't know what I was getting into, you know, spokesman's club. I should have known by that name, spokesman club, you know, and the ability just to say my name and tell who, I, I, to tell who you are. That was a challenge to me, you know. Later, uh, I was asked to give a sermonette. Now, a sermonette is about a 12-minute message. The reason they start you out with sermonettes because if you're long-winded and can't shut up, you know, they can cut you off very quickly. 12-minute limit, okay? But they didn't have a problem with that with me. I could barely come up with 12. And, uh, but I, I said, I, I can't do this. Lord, send someone else, you know. And, but somehow, some way, God gave me the strength, the ability, the faith to do it. Then later in my life, um, they wanted me to send me out to Tyler, Texas for some schooling. And boy, did that, you know, I'm thinking, I'm driving out to Tyler, Texas. I'm going to be speaking before my, my peers. You know, and, you know I, I didn't want to do I'm, I'm driving out to Texas, and I'm thinking, why am I going to Tyler, Texas for some schooling in the church? I, I am the last person that needs to be going out here. Okay. So the instrument that God uses is what I want you, I, I, I want you to think about, the instrument that God uses as far as your background is concerned. When you think of the ministry, what comes to mind? Well, probably very nice, very polite. You would never think of aggressive in your face. You know, uh, uh, you would never think of a person, that, you know, uh, very, what you would think of as a very eloquent speaker and someone that can pronunciate all the words and say and a big smile on his face. And, and you know, we have this imagery of the, of the instrument that God uses. And I want to tell you something, that, that imagery that you have of the ministry is all completely wrong. Really, it is. Now, it's not that a desire for the ministry is wrong. It, you know, it's because I've met people that, that want it to be in the ministry. But it's, it's the motive of one's heart. It's why you want to be in the ministry. It has a lot to do with your attitude. And, but, but the really important thing about being in the ministry is it's an issue of who's in charge. You know, if God's in charge, you know, if, if, okay, I'm in the ministry because God wants me to be there. That's the only good reason to be in the ministry. Uh, it really is. Not because you looked and thought, well, you know, I could make a decent salary. I, you know, I don't have to work that much. And, I, and again, I've met people like that that wanted to be in the ministry. They wanted to go to seminary school and, and learn about mainstream churchianity and just keep repeating some of those lies that, that, are, that they're taught in cemetery school, seminary school, excuse me. Yes. <clears throat> now, I want to look at the desires and attitude of the instrument that God uses. The first man we're going to look at is Isaiah. Isaiah 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the doors moved and the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. I mean, this is an incredible, mind-blowing vision that Isaiah saw to be brought into the presence 
of the Lord, God Almighty. And Isaiah 6 and verse 5, this is his response. I want you to notice Isaiah's response. And then I said, woe is me. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Notice the, notice the, the, the attitude of Isaiah. He says, woe is me, I'm undone because I'm a sinner. The first thing he identifies is the fact that I am a sinner and I live in and among a people, a nation full of sinners, and they have influenced me so much that I'm unclean. I am unclean. Wow, what an attitude of the instrument that God uses. Isaiah 6 and verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the, off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, thy, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purged. Yeah, I mean, the humility of the instrument that God, the tool that God uses the attitude is often, you know, I can come up with excuses as to, I can come up with a hundred excuses as to why I should not be an instrument in the hands of God. You know, I can give you maybe one reason I should be in the ministry, and I can give you a hundred reasons why I should not be. The one reason I should be in the ministry is because God has placed me there. That's the only answer I can give you. It's the only answer I can give you. It has to do with, with him, not me. And I've, I've met men that have a lust for the ministry. I just feel I've got something to give. I want to get behind the pulpit and give it to them, you know. Uh, there's, there used to be 650,000 preachers in America. Obviously, a lot of them are raising their hands saying, yeah, send me. I'm ready for it. Oh, yeah. I want to look at another instrument that God used, another tool that God used. Exodus 3 and verse 11 and Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now I'm going to switch here to the New International Version because I like the way it reads. It's Exodus 4 and verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, he said, Lord, I've never been a good speaker. And I haven't gotten any better since you spoke to me. I like that. I don't speak very well at all. The Lord said unto him, well, who makes a man able to talk and who makes him unable to hear or speak? Who makes him able to see? Who makes him blind? Is it I, the Lord? Now go and I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. And Moses said, Lord, please send someone else to do it. I mean, did Moses know who he was talking to? He's talking to God. Well, I think he did know, but he said, look, Lord, please send someone else. We have been so brainwashed by what we think is a tool in the ministry. We really have. Because all we got to go on is what we have seen with our eyes on TV, television evangelists and church. And we've just been brainwashed by the instrument, the tool that God uses. Another instrument that God used, but the people were not expecting. John 2 and verse 14. 
And found, speaking of Jesus, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a, a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. You know, from the sinner's perspective, Christ was everything. He was the friends of sinners and harlots and tax collectors. He ate with sinners. But from the religious side of people, the religious people, this was an Jesus was an instrument the Father could never use. Yeah, that's how they looked at him. This can't be anybody. You know, oh, hey, it's Joseph's boy. You know, he's one of us. You know, he, he can't be nobody. And here he is. He breaks out a can of whip. You know what? And he's throwing people out of the temple. He's throwing people out of church. Imagine walking up to a church and seeing people being thrown out the door, one, one at a time. And it's Jesus cleaning out the hypocrites. Yeah. You know, so many people don't even understand the real Jesus. Let me tell you about the real Jesus. Number one, he was a Jew. A lot of people won't, will not even admit that one. <laughs> but he was a Jew. He did not have long hair. Sorry, you've been deceived. You know, you, you believe me, you've been deceived on that one. He was so common looking that he was often overlooked in crowds. He was not born on or near December 25th. He owned his own home, paid taxes, had a large family with at least six brothers and sisters, was a personal friend of con artists, soldiers, fishermen, cheats, liars, thieves, politicians, religious leaders, and prostitutes, was not crucified on a Good Friday, was not resurrected on an Easter Sunday morning, is alive today, and is planning his return to this earth, and the countdown has already begun. Jesus, the real Jesus, turned water into wine. I think it was about 160 gallons of water he turned into wine. Sorry, Baptist. You know, that's, that's water into wine. Don't, don't go there with, with your grape juice thing, you know. They, they didn't say, that the, king, you know, the, the governor didn't say, well, he saved the best grape juice for last. No, no, it was wine. And a lot of people, you know, I, well, I thought a lot more of Jesus if he hadn't turned that water into wine. Yeah, I hear you. Actually, Jesus probably drank a little of that wine. I mean, who turns water into wine and doesn't drink it? You know, and I don't know about you, but if, if, if Jesus drank a little, then I don't want to try to out Jesus, Jesus, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, we're talking about the instrument that God uses. Let's take a look at another instrument that God uses, Jonah. Jonah 1 and verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came into Jonah saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, what kind of response is this? Here's God telling you, go do something, and he runs in the opposite direction. Again, we're talking about the instrument that God uses. We're talking about the tools that God has used down through history. you got to understand the motive for Jonah running away. In fact, it's found in, John, as it's some, uh, in Jonah 4 and, and verse 1. You see, Jonah had went with a message, 40 days and Nineveh is going to fall. And Jonah wanted it 
to fall. And so he starts to preaching. 40 days and none of us is going to fall. And the people of the town repented. Even the king repented. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They put on sackcloth on the animals too. And everybody went around humble, humbled themselves. And God changed his mind. God said, I'm not going to wipe it out. And Jonah 4 and verse 1 says, Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? This is why I ran away. Why did he run away? All right, here's the answer. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth thee of the evil. Now you think that would be a good reason to, to, to like God. But for Jonah, Jonah wanted them to get what was coming. He didn't want that prophecy to fail. I want the people to die 40 days and none of us shall fall and they're going to get theirs. And it just irked Jonah that God changed his mind and didn't destroy the town of Nineveh. Yeah, it really did. And then, uh, Jonah was a ball-peen hammer. That was the instrument. That was the tool. You know, Jonah was. And you see, my point is... You, you don't even have to have the right motive to be used by God. Jonah didn't. Do you think that, you know, Jonah says, this is the reason I ran away because I knew you were merciful and I wanted those people to get, get what was coming. There are, listen to me, there are no limitations as to who or what God can use as long as you understand who's in control. God was in control. As long as you understand that, there's no limitations, Okay. Philippians 1 and verse 15, Paul talks about, you know, people preaching for the wrong motive. He says, some indeed preach Christ, Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. There's all kinds of method that, methods that people use. One preach, preaches Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but others of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, no matter how it's preached, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So what have we found so far? Well, what we've found so far is, is that the instrument that God uses, that their heart can be wrong, their attitude can be wrong, and God still can use them. In fact, Jeremiah 23 and verse 21 is a fascinating scripture. God says, look, I didn't send these prophets, yet they ran. I mean, here are people God has not called. He didn't want them in the ministry. And they said, I'm going to be in the ministry. I didn't send these prophets, but they ran to the ministry. I have not spoken to them. You know, the Lord, and the Lord told me, you know, send me a million dollars. You know, God says, I didn't speak to them. Yet they prophesied. But if they, these false prophets, had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil ways and from the evil of their doing. You know, this is a fascinating scripture because even false prophets, if now maybe false prophets wouldn't do this, but if they stick to the word of God, if they stick to the law of God, if they use the law to convict of sin, sin is the transgression of the law, then, you know, they would, it would be a benefit to God. It would be a benefit to society. Now, again, I don't know if any false prophet, you know, most false prophets will tell you just the exact opposite. They'll tell you the law's been abolished, been nailed to the cross, been fulfilled, and been done away with. But 
if they could, if they could just discipline themselves to stick to the law of God and the word of God. So what we have found out is as far as the instrument that God uses, that their heart can be wrong, their attitude can be wrong. And in some cases, God could even use a false prophet to speak to people. Yeah. Now we'll look at another instrument that God used. Now this one, is his name is Elijah. And the king wanted to talk to Elijah. And he said, you know, go find Elijah. And that they, the, the, his servants come back to the king and say, look, we found the man. He was a hairy man girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And the king said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. You know, when you can identify someone by, just by their appearance, you know, he's a hairy man. He's a big man. He's a tough man. If, if Elijah was, was, was alive today, he would come riding in on a Harley, you know, maybe, maybe even tattoos. I don't know. But anyway, you know, it, I'm just saying that this is not the kind of instrument that you think of when you think about God's toolbox and the instrument that God uses. This is a man of few words, you know. This man would, wouldn't use 12 words when three words would do. So this is what happened. When the king, uh, 2 Kings 1 and verse 9, Then the king sent unto him captains of 50 with his 50 and went up to him and behold, he sat on the top of a hill, and he spake unto him, to him, Thou man of God, the king has said, Come down. Now, I don't know but you just the, the, how they said it. It didn't, maybe no humility whatsoever. Please come down. No, they didn't say that. Man of God, come down right now. And Elijah said, if I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And again, the king sent unto another captain of fifty with his fifty. Now, why this first, this second captain of fifty didn't, you know, they had to step over fifty smoldering corpses lying on the ground, burnt to a crisp. You know what? I, I don't know. I don't know the thinking here. I guess he's following the king's order, you know. And he said to him, O man of God, thus says the king has said, Come down quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. So now you got a hundred smoldering corpses on the ground. And the third captain of 50 comes out. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said to him, O oh man of God, please, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50, thy servants, be precious in your sight. Yeah, he, he faced Elijah with humility. And 2 Kings 1 verse 15 says, And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, and be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. Now, Elijah was a real tough man of God. And yet, you have the humanity of the instrument that God uses. Now, what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about in the next story, right after this event, you have Elijah running from Jezebel. Yeah, Jezebel said, I'm going to take his head off. So you can have great faith, and then you can have great unbelief. 
So a servant of God can have one day great faith, great unbelief. And I would just want to, and then later Elijah said, take my life. Yeah, take my life. He told God, take my life. It's not worth it, you know. So the humanity of the instrument that God uses, it's amazing. Another instrument was a woman, Joshua 2 and verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are coming to thee, which are entered into your house, for they be come to search out the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them. And said thus, there came unto me men, but I don't know where they, where they went to. And it came to pass about the shutting of the gate when it was dark that the men went out. And she basically tells the soldiers, she tells them a lot. She said, that, look, I don't know where they went to. Pursue after them quickly and you shall overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof of her house and hid them with a stalk of flax which she had laid upon the roof. Now, why did Rahab the harlot do this? Well, she knew these spies had favor with God, and she lied to keep them safe. Now, what does the Word of God say about Rahab the harlot? Well, it says in order to be an instrument in the hand of God, you've got to be perfect. No, just kidding. Actually, Rahab the harlot is found in the Hero Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11 and verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now, so what I want you to do, I just want you to, to think about the instrument that God uses with all the examples that I've just given you. Whether it's Rahab the harlot, whether it's Elijah, whether it was Moses, whether it was Noah, you know, whoever, whichever character, Isaiah, however you want to look at this, I just want you to think about the instrument, the toolbox, the instrument that God uses. Now, I want you to think of an image or imagine the ministry that you've been taught all of your life. What you think of when you think of a minister. Now, now that you got that image in your mind, what you think of when you think of the ministry with the influence that you've had all your life of going to church and looking at television evangelists, now that you got the image of the ministry in your mind, okay, now think the exact opposite and you will be closer to the truth. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program, this program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God Rocky Mount and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount. 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.